0: Welcome to the UHM Podcast, with your hosts, Ryan and Shane. Okay, everyone, welcome to episode 17. That's right, 17. I think we've made it into 2017 of the UHM Podcast. Um, I'm your host Ryan, and joining me as always is my co-host from across the pond, Mr. Shane Smith. Shane, how is 2017 treating you?
1: Um, okay so far. Uh, yeah, it's good.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Uh, joining us, yeah, what was that, Shane?
1: Yeah, I just got a, uh, Ziggy is just trashing everything in sight, so I'm just gonna leave it and wait until he's done, and then I'll. Then when we're done, then I'll do the cleanup.
0: If we hear a loud crash and some screams in the background, I mean, we might be able, we can alert the authorities at least.
1: Yeah, you can do, but it's not going to do me any good.
0: <laughs> well, also joining yeah. us as a special guest today, um, a, a fellow horror fan and zombie nut, uh, Mr. Matthew Blazy. Is it Blazy or Blasey? I should have asked you before we started. It's Blasey, actually. Blasey.
2: Ah, yeah. damn it. Yeah. Oh. That's all right, everyone gets it wrong Don't worry
0: 50-50 shot I had on it and I blew it
2: That's okay
0: yeah. Actually, that's my fault as well <laughs> So Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, doing good Thanks for having me Excellent, and uh, where are you calling in from?
2: I'm calling in from uh, right outside of Hershey, PA Oh, okay, Hershey, great Pennsylvania.
0: Excellent You guys getting that little snowstorm that we're getting here in Connecticut right now?
2: It. We're getting like a a smidge of it like it's been either light rain light snow but nothing more of a pain in the neck kind of weather than anything else
0: yeah it like just started snowing about an hour before um we got on it was really weird it was nothing all day took the dogs for a walk really nice out and i'm um, inside and i look out the window as i'm getting the podcast stuff ready and it's just started dumping on us and i'm like where the hell is this coming from
2: <laughs> i'm ready for it to be summertime
0: no, you I know what? Old... Uh, I'll take a little bit more snow. I like it cold.
2: Yeah, see I... I don't. I don't I don't understand people that like it cold. You uh, can't do anything. The
0: heat kills me. That's what it really is. I just
2: I hate <sighs> the heat. See, I'm the same way with the cold. I you know, my philosophy is it may be hot in the summertime during the day, but when the sun goes down it cools off. That's when the sun goes down in the wintertime <laughs> it just gets colder.
0: It gets colder. That's true. <laughs> Very true. So we got a great show today, guys. Um, we're going to be going back one of our earliest episodes. I think it was our pilot episode. Isn't that right, Shane?
1: That was, yeah. We
0: were we talked about some of the Romero films, so we're going to go back over some of those and we're going to extend it into all the Romero zombie films, the ones we didn't even cover. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to let everybody know that the UHM podcast is the official podcast of UpcomingHorrorMovies.com. And um, if you guys want to help out to the podcast and get some cool stuff at the same time, you can subscribe to a Horror Pack. If you go to HorrorPack.com slash go slash UHM podcast and sign up, you'll get $5 off and you'll get four awesome DVDs or Blu-rays sent to you in the mail every month. And they're usually some cool shit and then we get a little kickback on the side, so that's good for everybody. Or... If you want to just hand me cash i can take that too
1: yeah it goes for everybody
0: yeah that definitely works
1: i don't need cash for a mic anymore but i do need cash for a um a device that will control my cat so that'd be (laughs) kind of cool
0: was that banging in the background him
1: yeah that's him knocking money off the shelf
0: Ah, uh, yes, yeah. the unofficial fourth member of the podcast, uh, Ziggy. Ziggy, yeah.
1: <laughs> Ziggy off the little gobshite.
0: Little bastard. All right, <sighs> so before we get on to the topic, um, let's start like we normally do and, and see what's going on. Have you been watching anything unusual, Shane? Um, is there any horror movies, books, comics, any music that you've been catching up on recently? Um,
1: funnily enough... I have been marathoning the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series because I do it every year. And it's one of those shows. I've always loved it. But I've just since I think the 3rd of January, I've been watching it sort of like on an evening basis. And I'm that I've just finished season five tonight. So tomorrow I'll start season six.
0: You want to hear a little confession? Um, I have never watched an episode of Buffy. No. Not, not one. I've seen the movie but well, back in the day with um, P.B. Herman and uh, what, what's her face?
1: Oh, Christy Kirstie Fonson.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, but I've never seen an episode of, uh, of the show.
1: See, the TV show is so much better than the film. I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> the
0: although, film was not very good.
1: The, yeah, although the film's not that great, but it does have its comedy moments, the TV show is a lot better. It's also funnier. Um, but then you've got the offshoot show angel, which I will then watch once I finished the last two seasons of Buffy. Yeah.
2: I was, I was always a fan of angel more than Buffy. I, I never really watched Buffy and I just got into angel. Yeah. And and to me, to me, that's the better show. I like that one better.
1: That's cool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people liked angel because it was more adult. It was more darker as well. Mm -hmm. and I can understand that. And, um, I just liked Buffy because I had Sarah Michelle Gellar in it.
0: Well, that I don't. Agree. I don't disagree with that.
1: <laughs> and Allison <laughs> ha- Allison Hannigan, as well. Oh
2: yes, yes, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: So, oh. how about you? Have you been watching or listening to or uh, uh, doing anything interesting recently? Um, no, I got.
2: I, I'm pretty busy with a bunch of stuff. So, for me to binge watch something is is going to take a lot of time out. Yeah. Between work and doing other stuff, but I, uh, I just watched uh, Don't Breathe for the first time last week. Oh, I haven't seen good
0: it setup. yet. It's on my. I have a Blu-ray. It's sitting on my I, shelf. I can't wait.
2: It, it was one film. of those, and, and it's not to sound cliche, but there were times where I was literally holding my breath. Oh, that's yeah, awesome! Because it just, it just gets you, and you just, <laughs> you just get sucked into watching it. And it's one of those where it, I was. It definitely lives up to the hype. Yeah.
1: See, I really enjoyed the whole story behind that. I thought it was really cleverly done. Yeah, and... it,
2: it doesn't have a lot of those cliches and tropes of horror movies.
1: No. And, and, not only... and it's
2: and it's, it, it's a horror movie for more of the theme than it is, you know, monsters and gore and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Cause, and, and that's and that's kind of a breath of fresh air to see something that kind of generally makes you terrified for different reasons.
1: Yeah, it's more human, I would yes. say. yeah. So I think you'll like that one, Ryan.
0: Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. And like I said, I've got, I've got that in Green Room um, sitting there. Green that room I've, I've been fantastic. really wanting to watch. But the problem oh. is I keep getting, I get so many movies. And I'm like, I just have to like make my way through them. And a lot of the times it's like 10 o'clock and I go, you know what? I'll just put on a shitty movie that I won't care about. You know, you know I sort of half pay attention to it and I'll watch it and like fall asleep. Because I don't, I don't want to start like a, a one that I actually care about. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to have one on that I'm like, oh, I really got to pay attention to this. So I mm-hmm. end up, I end up watching nothing but terrible movies, and all these like awesome ones are sort of put on the put on the uh, the back burner that I I'm like, oh, I'll save this one for you know a time when I have some some time to devote to it. <laughs> so, but yeah, actually, I got a bone to pick with you, Shane.
1: What? What have I done now?
0: So, I don't even know if this was on the podcast, but you had told me that Suicide Squad was a decent movie, and you were full of hey, shit, sir. That was garbage. Nah, listen,
1: hey, listen, I said, right, the director's cut was okay. I didn't say the original movie was okay. <clears throat>
0: well, that's the one that I watched. Right. The ex- extended, whatever it was, it mm-hmm. was awful.
1: Fair enough. (laughs) But I will actually no, I will state and I will go on record. I did actually tell you, it was on chat actually. Um that it was a it was a gift from a friend of mine. It was a Christmas gift from my buddy Colin. And he'd we'd gone to see it at the cinema. And we both came out and I was like, Yeah, it was all right, you know, six, seven out of ten. Then I had a rethink and I thought, no, more like a four.
0: More like a four from a seven to a four, that's a pretty big thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then we watched it again and because the extended cut has got extra scenes in it that weren't um well they were cut. Yeah. Because the studio interference was so much, they just cut pivotal scenes. Yeah. And the extended cut has got those scenes put back in. Uh, not all of them, mess- Shane.
0: It only it only has no, some of them I'm put not. back in.
1: Yeah. But um piss off cat. Um <clears throat> But yeah, it might, to me, it made the film better. So I raised it to a five.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. I mean, yeah. I, I sort of agree with that on, in the same idea that the Batman v Superman extended cut is a little bit better than the regular one. But that doesn't make it like good.
1: Yeah, I still haven't seen
0: that. Oh, you're not missing much. Good. But yeah, but uh, other than that, um, so watch that and it was crap. I watched. Um, I started watching Master of None. It's uh, Aziz Ansari's Netflix show. It's a comedy, and it is hysterical. I only watched.
1: Oh.
0: Oh Jesus! What was that?
1: <laughs> Fucking cat. That was a pile of CDs that bit of dust. And I'm not talking a small pile. I'm talking those about a hundred.
0: It sounded pretty loud. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: See, if I if I lock him in the bathroom, he's just going to shred the toilet roll. So I'm just going to let him tire himself out, and I'll just clean up afterwards. Wow.
0: Oh my god. So yeah. And do
1: you know what? He doesn't do it any other time other than when I'm recording a podcast.
2: Because you're not paying attention to him.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Plus, he knows he has an audience.
1: Yeah, there is that.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that uh, Aziz Ansari show on Netflix is pretty funny. Um, like I said, I only saw three episodes of it, but I laughed my ass off. I thought it was hysterical. So I'm gonna I'm gonna finish that up. And just last night, I watched Friday the Thirteenth Part Two in a movie theater on Friday the Thirteenth, and it was amazing. Nice. Very cool. Uh, I've never so I never saw two in the movie theater before on a big screen. And it was awesome. It was a packed house. Completely sold out, this theater was. It was amazing. People were clapping. People were cheering. I was sitting right next to a girl who had never seen the movie before. So at any time when there was, like, jump scares or anything, she was, like, screaming.
1: It was (laughs) hysterical.
0: Great. It was a a great way to watch the movie. So that was pretty good. Oh, and then um, another one I wanted to mention that we probably won't get to on the podcast, but I watched this... um, it's a two thousand eleven. It's a South American movie called Squad or The Squad. Um, it's sort of like you ever seen The Bunker or, De- or um, Death Watch, where it's. A I've group... seen Death Watch. Yeah. yeah, it's like a group of soldiers sort of stuck in an isolated area, and there's some weird ghostly stuff going on, and they don't they don't exactly know what's happening, and they start turning on each other. It's sort of that idea, uh-huh. except Colombian. Hmm. It was a pretty good movie. Um, I mean, I, I think I would recommend it, but it wasn't like, um, it didn't break any new ground. Just more more of that sort of same idea, you'd get in the bunker, Death Watch, anything like that. It was pretty good. So yeah. that's what we got. I'll
2: put it on my list.
0: Yeah, it's, it's worth checking out. I think um, Scream Factory has a Blu- Blu-ray of it. I know that's how I got it. Um, I'm sure you could find it around somewhere. Okay. Um. So yeah, but on to the main topic of the day because I feel like <clears throat> I feel like we're gonna have a long one on this. Um, if we're gonna get to the Romero movies. We'll try and chug through these as succinctly as possible as we can, but I, there's no way we can't dwell on some of them. It's just gonna happen. Um, oh, did
1: I did I point out that uh, Matt is a bit of a um, Romero aficionado? No, and he just, might.
0: I was just. Gonna he get
1: might to that. Yeah, he might outgig us all.
0: <laughs> well, good. I would like to have somebody on this podcast that finally knows what they're talking about.
1: Oh, cheers, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> I meant the both of us, Shane.
1: Yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Matt, you've got a um, you've got a colorful background in the, in the Romero films. You've actually been in a couple, right?
2: Yeah, I've been in two of them. That's amazing. Yeah, so it was a childhood dream come true.
0: So I'm guessing it wasn't uh, Night of the Living Dead, just based on your age.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was born after Night and Dawn, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't around for those two. I, uh, I was, I was born in '81. Uh, I got indoctrinated to, to, Dawn of the Dead when I was about three or so. My dad had taped it off the TV, and he ended up taping um, a couple of Superman movies on after dawn of the dead so you know as a kid in a vcr if the tapes at the beginning i just started watching it and just kind of got enthralled by the the visuals that that dawn was putting in front of me and it just stayed with me my whole life
0: and superman 3 the one with richard Pryor, and superman fights a robot lady
2: yep yep (laughs) superman 3 comes on right after that so i I have a fond fond relationship with superman 3 and dawn of the dead together
0: (laughs) oh man that's great now that's awesome You actually, yeah. you actually, you know, I'm, I'm sure every horror fan has a story that, you know, they started early and then sort of grew up into it. But how many people actually get to be in, you know, some of those amazing movies from that director that you fell in love with? You know, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I am I count myself pretty lucky and humbled by, by that because I can say it even even though it's in two of the movies that people don't particularly care for. That's fine. I got to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, you know, a bad George Romero movie, you know, in in one's opinion, or eyes is still better than a lot of stuff that's out there today. So
0: that's true. Well, I, listen, I, uh, as a as I played a zombie in Steve Niles remains, and I'm jealous of your zombie acting in, uh, <laughs> you know, survival of the dead or anything. So, yeah, that definitely. It was, something.
2: Yeah, it was it was an experience. You know, you, you spend your whole life you know, doing it when you're there, it's just you just get caught up in the moment and you're you're playing it in, out in your head because you've been doing it as a kid and even as an adult just living out that fantasy and, you know, it's just one of those you have to step back and you have this like out-of-body experience of, of being in a George Romero movie and seeing George direct you and you know, directing other people and and just looking around and, and seeing it, just the whole environment around you and it's just... It, it, it's still surreal. I mean, I, I remember everything from, you know, the, the lead up, the drive, you know, the, the smells of set, you know, what <laughs> I ate that day. I mean, I remember everything and it's, it, it's just, I don't know, sometimes still weird to talk about cause I can't believe I did it.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> did you have any contact with George?
2: Uh, both times. Yes. Um, I, when I got up to George, when I was on land of the dead, uh, there was a break between a couple of scenes and he was uh, walking and he stopped by and talked to me and a a friend of mine. And, you know, I said, you know, I said, you know, thanks for doing this. He goes, no, thank you for wanting to do this, you know, and, and just, you know, that just, man, that just kind of just floored me. You know, I was, I I was done. I mean, George Romero is thanking me for being, wanting to be in his movie. And, you know it, it just, it, it's just it, it's even hard for me to describe now because it's you know when, when the your favorite director who's made a ton of your favorite movies and is like you know world renowned and you know the cause of a lot of modern horror things and you know and he's he's humble enough to to thank you and want to make sure you're you're having a good time and he wants to do good you know it just it, it really gives you a greater appreciation for for him and what he does
0: yeah yeah he's absolutely a genuine like class act kind of guy um i I, the, I had met him one time just at a you know a horror convention where i'm waiting in line with you know 200 other people trying to get his autograph and yeah the fact that by the time i got up to him he still had a smile on his face he still shook your hand you know he was he was just the yeah. nicest guy and, and for anybody to have to Sit there and put up with a stream of nerds the whole way through, and to still be jovial when somebody comes around—that's awesome.
2: Yeah, i've I've worked with him at a bunch of conventions, and he's just he—he's the same in front of people as he is in private. And he's—he's there for the fans. He just—he knows he needs to be there for the fans. So he very—I mean, for a man his age, he very rarely gets up to go to the bathroom, take a smoke break, eat. I mean, the man's a machine. And, um, I had just seen him in November. We went to New York city for the 4k restoration screening and night of the living dead. Mm-hmm. And we were in the auditorium and I was standing there. I was talking to another friend of mine and George and his wife stopped by and his wife and I, she's such a sweet lady. Um, she stops and sees me. She gives me a hug. George comes over and gives me a hug and, um, walking down the aisle. I I'm talking to George's wife. I turn around, George had stopped and, and remembered my son who's nine.
1: Holy uh, or shit. who will
2: be nine. He stopped over and talked to George or talked to my son and like leaned over and gave him a hug and just, you know, of, of, of the 500 people in the auditorium, you know, he made a stop off at my son and just, and it's one of the reasons I love that man. That's amazing. Um, my, my son's middle name is Romero. <laughs> awesome. Yeah.
0: How did your wife so take that- to that?
2: Uh she. Lo- uh, she's the one that came up with it. That's
0: amazing. Uh,
2: yeah, she was. The, she was the one that came up with the middle name. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, the first time I told George, he goes, "Why would you do that to your poor child?"
0: <laughs>
2: I said, "Because I love you, George. That's why." And you know, he just he just laughs and shakes his head and you know George George's is, George's is humble. George George gets it, but then George like. You know, there's just times where George is taken back by everything because of the way people celebrate his movies and and just come out in droves to see him all the time. And you know, and and everyone has that story of the you know the first time they saw Night or Dawn or you know which one their favorite is and, yeah. and why it's their favorite. And um, poor George, I think I'm the only person in the world that will walk up to him and want to talk about Bruiser, of oh, all of man. his films.
0: Bruiser's I, good. I, I love talk- Bruiser.
2: Bruiser. Bruiser was the film I saw when I met him for the first time. Really? Yeah, in 2000, he was speaking at Westchester College, which is about two hours from me. And this was in a time when you know zombies weren't big, horror wasn't big. There was like 40 of us in a conference room in a library. Well, and, and
0: George Romero
2: was there. And George Romero was that's, there by himself. That's crazy talk. And And he just sits there and he's answering questions. He's like... Well, I was going to show you United Living Dead, but I figured you've all seen it. So how about you see my new one, Bruiser? And I was like, yes. That is awesome. So I, I think I like Bruiser a little bit more than maybe I should because it, it takes me back to that. And, you know, just after that, he went out and sat on a bench, smoked a cigarette and signed autographs for an yeah. hour.
0: I think it's honestly an underrated movie, Bruiser. Um, oh,
2: it's so much is. It,
0: it's it's, it's I've one never of those. You've never seen Bruiser? No, I the guy with the mask and he's like you can't take the mask off
1: no not seen it
0: it's been Never years it. since i've watched it but it, it's worth a watch it's you know i don't even know where you can find
2: it now i mean i'm sure it's on dvd server. um you can get it you can get shane you can get it it's it, you can get there's a british dvd i have one and it oh, just right. it just came out on blu-ray in germany Ooh. okay and so i i snagged a copy of that uh over the fall and I remember I just I became obsessed with Bruiser after I saw it, and I actually I ordered it from the Netherlands on yes. DVD like eight <laughs> months before it came out here in the states, and waiting for it in my mailbox when I was in college was the longest wait I ever had.
0: Oh my god, <laughs> hey, this is gonna sound terrible, but I I I bought that as part of a twin pack from Walmart. I Forgot what it was paired with.
2: Uh, uh, saw three.
0: No, 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 it was before it Saw. Was-
2: well, it was... the one I have, the ones I remember seeing were with Saw because it has a red label on the top, and I always remembered seeing it with one of the Saw movies. So they may they may have done it again with another movie, I, but I know I, mine.
0: Jeez, you know what? I almost want to go dig through my DVD pile and find it. I I know ah, it's gonna kill me. Which one? I don't think it was Saw three. I real I think this was before the Saws because it must have been somewhere around. Uh, 2000 well, maybe 2005 that could be in the Saw range shit maybe
2: it was yeah Saw came out in 2004 and then Bruiser was released in the states in October of 01 because I remember it was my first Amazon purchase that's how much of a nerd wow. I am when it comes to George Romero <laughs> stuff the first thing I ever wow. ordered off Amazon was Bruiser
0: Wow, I think I'm more of a nerd. my my nerddom goes back earlier. Like I bought from Amazon before they sold any DVDs or anything. It was books. <laughs> I had, oh man! I had, um, if you look at my Amazon list, I've done it and gone to like my first purchases. It's like three mm-hmm. Stephen King paperbacks for like two dollars. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> it's cheaper than Barnes and Noble.
2: <laughs> uh, late late last year, one of the things you know, I obviously everyone you know goes online and looks for stuff. Many many years ago on eBay, there was a paperweight. And it was a Tiffany and company paperweight engraved and it says, you know, w- you know, with thanks, you know, bruiser summer 1999. And it says Peter Stormare. And I guess it was Peter Stormare's gift from George that they had given to the cast. And I'd seen it on eBay years ago. So every day, I think for probably about four years, I had a bruiser alert on my phone and I would check it. And it finally popped up probably last spring. And I was determined to get this, and I got into a bidding war, and I paid like 150 bucks for it. That is awesome. Because I was, I was determined to get this piece of Bruiser memorabilia. Nice. Because I love Peter Stormare, I love George, and um, it, sits, it sits on my shelf next to uh, Jeff Monaghan's original script from the movie. That's amazing. Yeah, because I, I met Jeff a bunch of years ago. He lives out in Pittsburgh, and I was out there, and he was like, at his table and, he, and i said like, is that a recreation he goes no that's my actual script i said sold holy shit
1: yeah so told you ryan we shouldn't have had him on i know, because he was right? gonna out- us, right we were
0: supposed <laughs> to be we were supposed to be talking about the living dead films and now we've gone like 20 minutes into bruiser <laughs> you know what you know what we're gonna have to do shane
1: we're gonna have to do another awesome.
0: episode of um romero non-zombie movies and just like We'll we'll do all of Romero's other stuff. That's gonna have to happen eventually.
1: Yeah, that sounds like fun. And um yeah. No, right. obvi- yeah,
2: sorry, my, my my bruiser geekdom digressed to yeah, Right. Obviously we're gonna have to bring that
1: <laughs> back for that. So
0: <laughs> Alright, I'll tell you what guys. Let's I'm I'm gonna lay down the hammer of the um yes. the podcast leader and say let's start talking about one of these dead films right now. So let's <laughs> let's go ahead into Night of the Living Dead and if anybody listens yes. to our um Pilot episode of the worst audio ever. I mean, the UHM podcast. Um, you'd know that Shane and I both love this movie. Matt, what do you think of *Night of the Living Dead*?
2: Oh, I I absolutely love it. I think it's it, it's such a a great film because again, with everything that George does, everything is simple, and and George's underlying social commentary just takes this film from being a B movie. and, and, and upgrading it. And, you know, the, the whole, you know, unintentional casting of Dwayne Jones really set that film apart for so many years and, you know, and just, you know, shooting it on weekends and, you know, shoestring budget and, you know, you know, family and friends being part of it. It's, I, I love the film more now because I've gotten to know a lot of the image 10 guys because I live close to Pittsburgh. So I go to all the Pittsburgh events. Yeah, So I've gotten a bigger appreciation for that movie because of, of the original trilogy, I always, it was like, always like my third favorite. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the film, but, um, and I got my own reasons for liking day more. And I think it was just, you know, when I saw day and versus seeing night, but, Ooh. um, with, with night, I just, it's, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe because there's a big mixture of stuff. It's, you know, 1968, no one had seen kind of gore like that before. You know, it was the the old Hollywood universal monsters and the big giant bugs and, you know, and horror films never really kind of got visceral like that. And, you know, when you see them eating, you know, entrails and hands and, you know, all that stuff, it just sets it apart. And, you know, when you watch it now, you can kind of see the trail it was blazing. And it just kicked that door open to to modern horror.
0: Yeah. How do you feel about the movie being shown as like a B movie? And like, you know, you turn on the channel back in the 80s and stuff, and this would be on at 1 a.m. as part of a shitty lineup of, you know, three or four terrible movies and Night of the Living Dead would be thrown in there.
2: Um, I think that was before. I I think that was when people saw it as a B movie. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't commercially successful. It, it was in some realms, you know, that obviously the whole copyright thing didn't trickle back down to the filmmakers. Um, it was, you know, in a time where it was still cult and underground and, you know, you read about it in magazines and you had to know people that had seen it and it came on at one in the morning. Um, I, I didn't, I, I don't think that ever hurt it. I don't think that ever, you know, tinted my view of it. In fact, I think I endeared it more because anytime that I could, that I now see a George Romero movie on TV, I get really excited and sit down and watch it just because I'm like, okay, you know, my turning on the channel is going to help this rating go up, you know, by one household <laughs> if they're tracking it. So they show more Romero movies. Um, but it, it definitely has B movie qualities, but it's, it's taken seriously. And that's the way George takes a, a vast majority of his films. You know, he's, he's a very serious filmmaker.
0: I think this one, um, even more so than some of his other movies is more accessible to a general audience and that you could get anybody who, even if they don't like horror, if you sit them down to watch night of the living dead, I mean, despite being black and white, if you could come over that one small hurdle, I think anybody can sit and watch and enjoy the movie. I think that's Mm -hmm. probably the biggest benefit of it. Like, even if you take it as, Oh, we're going to watch a dumb B movie. But you put on Night of the Living Dead, they're going to love it. They're going to be like, oh, this is great. You know, look at these guys get the hammer and there are people stuck in the basement and he's a dick. And, yeah. uh, you know, like, I, th- I think it works so well on just a basic storytelling sort of aspect of it that, that you keep characters in locations and sort of familiar, like the way they behave, like they they, they behave the way you'd expect them to behave. Like you had mentioned earlier, it's it's simple, but it's like he sets these archetypes, and they stay mm-hmm. to the archetypes. And I think that makes it extremely accessible for a much wider audience than even some of his later movies, which may even be better than the first one.
2: Yeah, and I mean, he he really only has... You know, very few tropes and cliches, you know, obviously in 1968, the casting of Barbara is the weakened female and you know, they're not really strong characters and and stuff. But I mean, it, it's it's a claustrophobic film. It takes place inside a house, yeah. you know, and you you get limited information from the outside world. And just like with 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 all of his zombie films, the, the zombies really aren't the main antagonist. It, it, it's fighting amongst ourselves as humans. And, you know, they, they don't survive because they don't get along. You know, and, you know, when when you kind of think about it, it's like you hate Harry Cooper, but he's right. If they'd have went into the basement <laughs> right. and just waited till the morning, you know, it, it's it, it, and people don't don't sometimes see that until they watch it a few times and kind of realize, like, you know, he was right, but he didn't, pres- you know, he was an antagonist. He was selfish. Right, he was Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, it was countering what they were trying to do and they were trying to defend themselves. And it was like, well. You know, and Ben was right. You know, if they get in, you know, you know, we have no way out. So, I mean, they were both kind of right. But instead of working together, they destroyed themselves from within. You know, and it and that carries through every single one of his films. Yeah. Shane, um, you just
0: watched this recently, um, yep. seeing it for the you know 10 millionth time. Do you have new insights each time you watch the movie? Is it more enjoyable, less enjoyable as you go through?
1: It's more enjoyable for me. I absolutely adore the film. Um, pretty much everything that Matt has just said, it kind of encapsulates everything that I love about the film. Um, because it is one of those claustrophobic movies. It's eerie. It's atmospheric. Everything about it is just creepy. And the fact that I love it more because it is one of those films that's in black and white. And you, you're right. You don't get any. You don't get any. Or you never saw anything like that back in the day, and for me, I just absolutely adore every aspect of the film. And the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. So for me to say that this is actually more than likely my favorite Romero movie, um, kind of says a lot, you know. Because yeah, I mean, you're he's done some
0: jumping the gun right there, Shane? You're coming right out. I was gonna save it till the end.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but like I care. <laughs> but no, <clears throat> but honestly, I, I think it's an amazing film. And yeah, you're right. I mean, every aspect about those fighting amongst themselves and you know trying to survive is it's like, like I wrote on my notes. It's just basically people hold up in a house trying to survive the night, and then you've get all got all the consequences. Well, somebody fucks up, and then that's it. it it's just amazing absolutely love it
0: yeah how do you guys think um how do you think the music plays a role in this movie because i know um george didn't go out of his way to like it's not a, a a score that's put to the movie right didn't he just get like um didn't he get free
2: music he had access to yeah library tracks yeah pretty much yeah i mean it's. i i think you know of of all of his films, and I'll kind of broaden the broaden my answer to your question is it, it it is a product of the '60s. Yeah. Um, the music, the style, you know, the black and white, um, it, it screams <laughs> '60s. Um, you know that that early type of filmmaking. You know, film hadn't taken that turn in the '70s, um, yet. And you know, I think, I think the music is great. It's that you know orchestral piece, and it plays in the background. Then it's in your face. Yeah and then it's playing softly and then it disappears, you know, in, in certain cases, you know, like when Barber first comes into the house and you hear the blood dripping and that, you know, that kind of takes over and then boom, the music hits you again. So I think his, his use of music is, is great. It's not overused. He knows when to not use it.
0: Yeah.
2: And I, I feel he knows what type of music he needs to use.
0: Now when, um, you had mentioned the black and white aspect of it. That was done purely for commercial means, I think, right? Because it t- cost too much to film on color from from
2: the budget he had. Yeah, film was still expensive back in the 60s. I mean, everything was on film. You know, there were, really was no video. And, you know, he they had been doing commercial work, you know, Image 10, um, to raise money, you know, to make this feature w- along with investors. And it, it, it was the stock that was available to them. You know, they, they knew how to use it it was there, it was cheap, and it just, that's what it was. I don't, I don't, if he could have done it in color, would he? Eh, Probably. I don't, you know, but I think the black and white kind of sets it apart from from all the other films because it is done in that aspect. It is, it is that black and white, you know, it gives it that older look, but it's still kind of a modern film. Yeah, Um, that's an excellent
0: point. I, I, I love thinking of it that way because at the time, most theatrical movies going out at the time were were in color. And for this to Uh be in black and white was almost like a throwback. People being like, Oh, why are you going back to the old black and white when you have color available? Um, But, but I, I think that does, it helps separate the film from sort of all the other, the the dredges in the horror world at the time. It sort of sets this apart and, and puts it on a, a pedestal.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even, even the original psycho was in black and white, which was a few years prior. And I mean, it, it I think a lot of that time it was just, it was cost, you know, there was color film and there was black and white film and black and white film was getting cheaper as color was coming in. So it was, you know, to me it could have been a way that, you know, had he, had they had only color film, he might not have been able to make the movie or he could have made it, but he would have had to cut corners elsewhere. Um, you know to to get the film finished. so I mean, I think with it being black and white helps when you when you watch his progression of zombie films, you see the growth from from sixty eight to seventy eight and, and the style. so I mean it's really leaps and it 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 sets a foundation and, and shows him grow as a as a filmmaker as he progresses with the rest of the films yeah
0: yeah so in in the matter of um of time saving, we're gonna have to we'll end the night talk um as we have right now i think we can all say it's an amazing movie and not only did it pave the way for romero in his zombie films but it paved the way for horror in general like there'd be mm-hmm. no zombies today on film if it wasn't for night of the living dead like walking would, dead yeah, all that there, stuff there'd be none
1: agreed 100 yep. percent. romero is the grandfather of the zombie genre as it, as we know it today
0: absolutely so let's move on to his his follow-up to Night of the Living Dead. Um, Dawn of the Dead, which now goes into color and uh, is filmed in the 70s. Uh, he sort of ups the gore. He ups the violence. He ups the setting. Everything is sort of, you know, turned up to 10 compared to what night is. Night was very claustrophobic. This feels much more wide open. I mean, sure, there's scenes that are claustrophobic, but I'm talking the scale of the movie. It's much bigger. It's more. It feels more like the entire Earth has been taken over. And um, what do you, what do you think about Dawn of the Dead, Matt? Any initial thoughts?
2: Um, I I think it's his best work. Um, Shane Shane knows that Dawn is my absolute favorite George Romero you film and my favorite. Sons
0: of bitches! I'm trying to save it for I, the end, and now both
2: <laughs> of you blew it. Well, <laughs> I, I Shane should have should have. Uh, prepped you more for me because <laughs> no 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 that's okay go dawn, <laughs> dawn to me is is the film that i have spent the most time with um i actually tomorrow i'm actually going out to the minervo mall just to go out and spend the day out there um because i i, I love it it's it the minervo mall is my graceland and dawn of the dead is like to me the peak of uh, of zombie films for me And it's like I said, it's probably the film I've seen the most, and I've seen it thousands of times. Um, and it it changes, I don't want to say changes, it shows that you can have a horror film and a zombie film and have it not look like a horror film Mm -hmm. because you know that you know it's been said many times George saw it as like a comic book, and it's a big, big scope you know in this mall and you know it just it reeks of the 70s of the consumerism and the styles and you know it's it's really george's the the first time we really see george put that underlying tone kind of in our face but you can watch it without getting overwhelmed by it
0: yeah no i completely for anyone that hasn't seen dawn the original dawn for the first time and they and they go and watch it and don't if they're not, like, paying attention to sort of the background interactions <clears throat> or looking for themes or anything like that, the um, it can pass you by. You can just see this as straight zombie gore, you know, with a decent plot and characters and have a good time. But the second or third time you watch it, you can go into it and really see the consumerism that George is commenting on um, uh-huh. as you get deeper. And that's what I think really works for the movie. Is that every time you watch it, you can pull something out new, something a little bit deeper. You know, you pick up on some of the themes he's really focusing on, and it's one of those mm-hmm. movies. When a lot of people talk about um, films or books or anything that has sort of underlying themes to it that aren't really blatantly stated on the forefront, um, Dawn of the Dead is one of those examples that you could point to where you're like, "No, he definitely has something to say about this," and when you watch it, you really you. And when you watch it and you're actually, like, looking for it or, like, you know, willing to sort of let the ideas come in, you see what he's saying about the consumerism and everything
2: that's happening in the movie. Mm -hmm. And again, it's – the zombies are a background character. I mean he really shoves them kind of off to the side when, you know, they first – you know, the first time they see the mall, you know, one character is like, what the hell is it? You know, you know, malls were expanding and exploding and not everyone had seen a mall. And, you know, at that time, you know, those things were huge. It was one of the largest malls in America and it had everything. You know, you walk in, you've got a department store, you've got a sporting goods store, you've got restaurants, you've got recreation. I mean, it was, it was a Mecca. It was, it drew people in and really changed the way you know people shopped and consumed and then interacted you know that you could meet up with a friend that you didn't know was going to be at the mall and you spent the afternoon there and you spent more money and it just you know kind of steamrolled and and you know it's like you said if you you don't you don't see it the first time you might not see it the second but the more you start to see it and you know some of the little vignettes that they're playing uh throughout the movie you, you start to see that there's more layers to this film and it, it's I don't think that I mean, obviously, I didn't see it in that way until probably well into my late teens when I started to watch it again um, and watch it more through, you know, adolescent eyes and and adult eyes and kind of see that stuff kind of unfold in front of me. And that's when it kind of blossomed into something new for me. Yeah,
0: sort of dark, angsty teenager. I'm against everything, man. I don't need to take this from
2: you. It was like my grunge phase.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, brother. I'm, I'm there
2: with you. I wasn't into Nirvana and flannel and gun- grunge rock in the 90s. I was into Dawn of the Dead and 70s horror films. <laughs> you know. you know, George not, Romero spoke to my angst. I'm not going to lie. I may have gotten rid of my flannel
0: shirts a few years ago. Just probably... I,
1: can say, I can safely say I never had a flannel shirt.
0: Uh, <laughs> you goth bastard. You wouldn't have known.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> His plaid is all black. Yes.
0: <laughs> every uh, Every shade.
1: Yes. It's all very, it's all very spinal tap. It's none more black. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so Shane, you, um, you had an interesting uh, introduction to Dawn of the dead, if I remember correctly, right?
1: I did. Yeah. Um, I was, let me see. I was eight years old. Um, and my sister and yeah, it was my sister. She'd rented it on VHS and, basically on a, it was a sat it was Saturday afternoon I'll always remember it Saturday afternoons were the were the days when my parents used to go out shopping and they would leave me with my five elder siblings and we would all sit there and watch movies and uh, it was always horror movies and when my sister where my sister worked at the time um she used to be able to get all the band movies that were you know, like driller killer and stuff like that, you know, v- vhs's that weren't available in the UK and she managed to get them all.
0: The video nasties, right?
1: Yes, all the video nasties, and she'd get the lot. So I'm talking like um like Revenge of the Body Body um no, Revenge of the Boogeyman and stuff like that, you know, all all the all that kind of stuff. That movie was shit um,
0: by the
1: way. Yeah it was. Um <clears> and um it was one afternoon, she decided to put on Dawn of the Dead, and I sat there and watched it. And I was like, this is amazing. I love it. Um, and uh, it was not long after that, my introduction to more horror movies um, was made. So stuff like Zombie Flesh Eaters. Actually, Zombie Flesh Eaters is my fir- is the first horror movie I ever watched. Um that and uh rosemary's killer which is known as the prowler yep and um so those were the first two horror movies i saw dawn of the dead was the third
0: that's amazing um, that you saw the prowler that's it's it seems obscure now i mean even even then i think it was obscure that that would be you know one of the first films horror films you saw you know what i mean for an introduction
1: yeah, yeah i mean it was 1982 because I'm an old bastard. So, yeah. But it was, you yeah, saw The
0: Prowler before you saw Halloween? Uh, Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, 1982, 34, 35 years ago.
0: <laughs> I remember 82. Uh, I had just come out of the
2: womb. So that was yes. a
0: big day for yeah. me.
1: I was going to say I just I just turned 36
2: last week so I'm going to make Shane feel real old. <laughs>
0: no, yeah, we all do. For we, that. Every episode. We, uh, actually, I have it here in my notes. There's a one there's one line I have in here that says make Shane feel old.
1: Thanks for that. So, I do my best.
2: I get it in every yeah. every
0: podcast. Make sure I get it in there.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. um as much as I talk about Bruiser, Dawn of the Dead, you could do a whole podcast series on Dawn of the Dead with me. <laughs> um, like I said, Shane, Shane should have briefed you more because it's—I I, got to let my freak flag fly when it comes to comes to Dawn. I'm sitting down here in my den, and I can look over and I can see the piece of the the paneling from the J.C. Penny elevator that Flyboy dies in front of. That's oh awesome. yeah. And I got—I have a set of the mall lights that I can turn on as mood lighting here in my den. And um all right, so you know, I,
0: it, everybody gets gets like, you know, the normal pot, the normal um, Dawn of the Dead spiel whenever they're talking about it. Let's get a little weird here. What's your favorite zombie? Like, I mean, I don't mean one of the main characters. What's your favorite random zombie
2: in the mall? My favorite random zombie. Like
0: the one that you uh, you're like, oh, I can't wait. This is a guy. This is the one right here. I love this guy.
1: Oh, the monk <sighs> for me.
2: Oh, you like the Harry Krishna.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a classic. He, yeah, he yeah. was funny.
2: You know, I, man, boy, it's hard to pick. I mean, Jesus, I can pick it. You know, go to, you know, go to, you know, forty-eight minutes and twelve seconds. Go to the seventh zombie on the left, and you know, I can see one doing. Um, it, I can pick them all out. I, I probably one of my favorites, probably just has to be the sweater zombie Clayton Hill. No, which one is um, that? Right. Remind us. Sorry.
1: Before, oh, sorry. Before you guys um, carry on, I just have to interrupt. Um, I can see Matt on my TV right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're watching Lane of the Dead. I forgot as we're talking. Yeah.
1: I am. Yes, it's uh, the, it's when the zombies break into uh, Fiddler's Green.
0: See, the downside of this is I had um, I knew you were coming on the show, Matt, but I didn't even know what you looked like. And I had watched Lane of the Dead earlier this week, so I wasn't able to pick you out. And then I watched um, that the short film you were in, Fast Zombies Suck.
2: Oh, okay. And I'm like,
0: shit, I wish I knew what this guy looked like earlier that I could have actually looked for him.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to see me in, in in land. You can see me a lot in a lot of the, the production stills that they had released, more than you can in the final film. Um, the the big thing for me the you know, being in land is one thing and, and everything, and then when the first trailer came out um, that had like all the voiceovers from the original films and, and, and they're showing the Fiddler's Green stuff. And I saw myself on like TV, and, you know, very briefly, like one frame. It was like I felt like King Kong on cocaine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it was like, holy shit, there I am. And it's so brief and quick um, and it's and it's hard. Um, I'm on the movie poster twice. They replicated a bunch of us. Uh, from those stills and put us on the movie poster. So within that vast army of of zombies going towards the the background, I found myself there twice, and
1: um, I actually have yeah. that on my wall.
2: Yeah, so it's actually easier to to see me there. But yeah, you can see my hand a bunch of times in the movie. Um, <laughs>
1: That's awesome. All right,
0: we'll yeah. get to land in a, in a little bit. Um, yeah. Pardon the interruption, but you were saying the um, the sweater zombie um yeah. the one you were focusing on in dawn
2: yeah i i don't know i just like i i got to know clayton many many years later and and whatnot he was such a sweet guy but it just how he just that that ex, that surprised look on his face like that was the last thing he experienced before he died yeah and, and when he reanimated his face is just stuck and just <laughs> it, 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 he just comes off as this like comedic thing but i mean there's a couple of scenes where he's snarling and whatnot but just just how he looks he's so nicely dressed and he's got this expression of surprise on his face like everything he's doing he's experiencing for the first time yeah so so to me that kind of resonates you know throughout the film like he's in this mall he's like oh my god like what is this like oh my god i'm a zombie and you know just to me i when i see clayton i get i get real happy
0: now in in dawn one of my favorite parts of the of the whole movie is And it's one of my favorite parts of any zombie movie is is when the main characters actually get to have fun. And they after they've, you know, cleared the mall of the zombies and they go through, Uh they ransack the stores and they're just like, you know, they get to the bank and they're throwing the money and they then they're in the they're they're in the other sections of the mall. They're trying on clothes and they're, you know, picking up the the, the sausages, the meats, and they're just like enjoying the benefits of being locked Uh in the mall by themselves. Um, I think that's one of the most fun part of the movie. And I think that's one of the most fun parts of any zombie movie. And I don't know of any movie that's even tried or come close to replicating that. Like even, even the, the remake of the Dawn of the dead, when they have the people doing the same types of things in the mall, Uh I feel like they're just not getting the most out of that mall, but I feel like the guys in Dawn of the dead, they really did. Like, do you think, do you think George was like, okay, what can these people do in this mall? Or was he like, is there anything that's sort of fabricated? Like, was there not a gun store in the mall? Was there not a bank? Like, did he add any um, superfluous, you know, amenities to the mall that weren't actually there?
2: Well, the gun store was not in the mall. Uh, The gun store was about, it was in downtown Pittsburgh. Um, So they cheated that, um, as well as their apartment. Their apartment was filmed in in the... um, top floor of george's old office building uh 247 fort Pitt boulevard um w- w- in regards to that scene one of the scenes that always sticks out to me and i always get a chuckle is when they're they're trying on clothes and everything and Flyboy picks up a jacket and he looks at it and he looks at the price tag and rolls his eyes like he's got to pay <laughs> for it so i mean if that just isn't a statement Like, you know, it's for free. And he looks at it and he goes, God, it costs that much. And I could always just imagine he puts it back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that would be the best.
2: (laughs) And um, the restaurant was there. The bank was there. I mean, everything was there except the gun, except the gun store. Okay.
0: Yeah. I'm not familiar with the malls in the 70s. I don't know if they actually sold guns in a mall in the 70s. I mean, maybe they did.
2: Probably. Yeah, maybe an anchor store would if they had an anchor store that would have done it. But to me, they were more of the big department stores. So yeah. you probably still have to go to a specialized store. Yeah. I mean, um, like
0: even even today, at least in Connecticut, you know, there's like um there's like a Dick's or some type of sporting goods store. Yeah. And, you know, they'll sell firearms, you know, for hunting and whatever.
2: Well, there's a Dick's at the Monroeville Mall now when they moved to Penny's in 2012. Uh, Penny's is upstairs and Dick's is The bottom floor of it and, and I go in Dick's from time to time but you know what I don't even look For the firearms but i have to when I go out there tomorrow I'm going to have to go out and check I'll be like well now we Can actually survive in this mall <laughs> there's, a <food> court, <laughs> there's a food court Guns I guess yeah. I'd be pretty I guess I'd be pretty sad at that point What's what's the mall like now is anything still there Um, Not really um, Penny's closed they, they, they relocated Penny's from Where it was in 2012 They closed the store um, which is how I got the paneling. Uh me and another guy went in and we were we were left in the store unattended by the store manager and we got to take apart the elevator and pretty much anything we wanted to because they were dismantling it. Um so they moved pennies, the bank is no longer there, the bank's now one of those Tivana stores that Starbucks owns. Um Walden Books closed down a bunch of years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I lied. There is one store that's in the same place, and I think it's Naturalizer is still in the same place um it's 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 hard to pick out and i have to go back through all my stuff because i have so much dawn knowledge it just rattles around in my brain um <laughs> but yeah for years like the you know, walton books the bank pennies um they're still an arcade but it's not in the same place um it's starting was 2017 2015 they and the, they took out the little wooden bridge and the little koi pond. They took that out.
0: Oh, no. Um,
2: yeah, but we saved the bridge. We had a grassroots campaign, and one of the museums in Pittsburgh actually has the bridge um, in pieces but intact um, back in their storeroom. So we saved the bridge. But that middle part of the mall where all that was is now carpet. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know the, the mall's really gone upscale. Uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Kreiss, had the, the Living Dead Museum in the Monrovo mall for many, many years. Um, and they kind of like didn't renew his lease. They wanted to, you know, just have this really posh kind of thing. And the, and the mall does have a, a very upscale kind of look to it. Um, so you don't see a lot of the little mom and pop like bodega tiles, uh, style shops. Um, they're more of the stands in the middle of the mall, but, um, it's when I go in and see it, I, I can, I can see, the minerva mall as it was in dawn of the dead and and when i first went out in 1999 the fountain was still there yeah and it was on um and they still had the plants and and a bunch of stuff and you know through through the years seeing a change you know people say well it's not even the same anymore like, but you still need to go you still need to you know walk those halls and you know you know all the back hallways still look exactly the same like that hallway they use to go in and out of their their apartment it's still painted the exact same that's awesome yeah Hollowed ground it, it it really is and and people make fun of me you know if it wasn't bolted down in the monrovo mall i took it <laughs> I, have, I have i have two big parking lot signs for lot 67 and lot 68 on my wall that the mall gave me 10 11 years ago when they were remodeling um you know, the, the boiler room still looks exactly the same. They still have almost the exact same knobs on the on the dials and the pressure gauges <laughs> the and knobs. stuff. Yeah. I turned one of the knobs one time when I was down there in the boiler room.
0: What's the condition of the motors and the pumps? I'm very
2: concerned about that. That's sort of the they're, work that's sort st- of
0: the work I do in real life.
2: <laughs> they're they're still they're they're running. It sounds exactly the same. <laughs> I doubt it's, that. It, I'm gonna
0: get down to my vibration equipment and figure it out. Just,
2: it's that that room itself, that boiler room, is very very small, and and they cheat it in the movie very well to make it seem like it's pretty massive. Yeah, and, and it's really only the size of a large conference room, two or three of them maybe. I mean, it's it's not big, and it's hard to hear when you're in there talking. Like you got to start shouting at each other to to hear. And seventies um, equipment, even, man. Yeah, even the roof looks exactly the same. You know, they they never change the skylights. Um, even the even the wall that Ken Frey plays tennis against is still looks exactly the same.
0: So now, how do you get up on the roof? You have to talk to the mall management.
2: I, I know people.
1: I know people.
2: <laughs> <It's>, that's. <laughs> yeah, I'm humbled to know people that have granted me access, um, and it's definitely a very rare thing. Um, you know. Don't go to the mall and start sneaking around. Yeah, right. Most um, malls, if they, you
0: try to get into their boiler room, you're going to be they,
2: arrested. They, yep. They've told me that you know if they catch you in in the back rooms, they will put you in handcuffs. Um, it's, it, I, I've, I've been on the mall. I've been on the roof twice. Um, the second time, uh, I was able to have the foresight to buy a tennis racket and tennis balls, <laughs> and, me and me and a couple of buddies went up and played tennis on the on the. The mall roof and had a little geekdom and we found where the where the the scene in the on the roof is where the the tennis ball rolls over and it falls down in front you see all the zombies so we found the the exact exhaust pipes and we found the angle and we recreated and rolled a tennis ball back over and then we left a ball up there as kind of like a little memento for people Mm -hmm. to see
0: that's awesome awesome
2: yeah yeah that's that's To me, like, I I go out there so often, people think I'm from Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because I talk about it all the time, and it's just, I don't know. It's such a neat thing. Like, it's, you know, the film's almost 40 years old, and it was just last year, a buddy of mine um, who's from the States, but he lives in Japan, finally came over, and it was, I've known him for almost 20 years, and it was one of our, our, our dreams is to go to the Monroeville Mall together, which we finally got to do. And we're walking around the mall with another guy, and we've got stills of the movie, and we're, we're looking for this one staircase outside when they're doing the establishing shots. And you see the helicopter fly over, and we're like, where is the staircase? And we're looking, and we're trying to look at angles, thinking maybe they reversed the shot and everything. Here, um, a friend of ours, Chris Stavrakis, his brother, Tasso Stavrakis worked on the film. He was a stunt guy and a makeup guy. And he's like, "Oh, I know where that is it's right out here and it's right out it was right outside the loading docks, but it's no longer there And he goes, no, it was right here if you look up and we looked up and it just it it it's like you could see it you know in a movie like when we're looking at it we could see the stairs yeah like the, and stairs, not, yeah, like,
0: <clears throat> the stairs are gone but it all clicks in
2: it, it it just resonated right away so I mean almost forty years later I'm still finding stuff that you know now when I go out to the mall I can I know exactly where that is and That's I, you awesome. know. That's awesome there's not much left but i mean i found original column tiles of the marble that is still up that was in filming i screen matched them with another friend of mine for a video we made um you know we we really dissected them all a few times um especially because people can't go people that just aren't able to go so you know i i've been lucky enough to be you know, given things and shown things. So I try to get back and, you know, take pictures of stuff for people or, you know, if it, you know, I've sent out paneling, uh, the elevator to people just because it's, it, it the fans should have it. It shouldn't be sending in a landfill somewhere.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, as we could tell you love Dawn of the dead, um, <laughs> Shane, that was one of your first intros into horror whatsoever. Yep. So I'm sure it holds a special place in your heart. Of course it does. Um,
2: yeah, because I just got that that Italian box set uh, the, that uh, just came out—the the zombie two set. That, yeah, um, with that really ugly cover on it.
0: Yeah, it's like that blue lenticular sort of.
2: Yeah, I I don't I don't understand why they couldn't just gussy up the original logo and why they had to make it that. But then again, it's the Italians. They've always had the odd art when it comes to Dawn. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna add this section in because I've I've got a question for you. In itself. Okay. Um, what do you think about the Argento cut versus like the theatrical or the extended cut?
2: I, growing up, I I only saw the theatrical cut until '97, when I was at Blockbuster and I and it there was a two VHS sets in there and it says director's cut and I about fell out my pants because I'm like, what the hell is this? Why is there a director's cut? Um, and I'd seen the director's cut. I didn't see the Argento cut until I was 18, about a, about a year or two later. Oh, yeah, I didn't um, see that I, until I got it in the Ultimate Edition set. Yeah, I, um, I picked up the Argento cut the first time I ever met Ken Frey and Scott Reininger. And when I took it home and watched, it, I was like, wow, this is really different because it wasn't available. Like you couldn't buy it in any format that could be played in the U.S., And I like, I like some of the Argento cut. It's probably the cut I watch the least. Um, I watch the extended cut the most because in my mentality, it's more Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And, and you can't go wrong with more Dawn of the Dead. And I don't think the longer cut detracts from the film at all, considering that is George's original cut of the movie. Yeah, you know that's that's what he cut it down to, and you know they cut it up more after the Cannes Film Festival for a theatrical release, and um, I like it um, theatrical. I mean, I could sit here and quote Dawn of the Dead in the background, you know, any cut that's on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it, the Argento cut introduced me to you know more Goblin. Oh
0: God, you know, I think so that, good!
2: I I think I think the soundtrack for the Argento cut is its strongest point and I think the sound design is actually the weakest the the changing of the gun the gun sounds and it's like over modulated yeah and whatnot it's I don't know why that cut has such a distinct sound to it I don't know if Argento you know used different Foley or, or stuff because it just it, it to me it's it stands out the most from the other two yeah but it's it's interesting I I, I like it it's like I said, it's probably one I watched the least, yeah. only because it, it's shorter.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I used to be... I won't say more of a fan of it. I was more I was more fascinated by it, like, the first time I saw it. That, like, I'm like, oh, this is different. You know, in in the way it's cut, it's not as comedic. It's more serious. Um, I love the soundtrack. I love more Goblin. More Goblin is better in, for anything in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... I don't know. I It was one of those things in my life that I think like, there's a period that I was like, I, if you would asked me in like 2004, I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, the Argento cuts better. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I had just seen it. Yeah. And I was like fascinated by it. But after, yeah. you know, after seeing the extended, the Argento, the theatrical, I'm kind mm-hmm. of leaning the theatrical. I, I I like the conciseness of the theatrical. And I don't think you lose too much that's in the extended compared to the theatrical.
2: I feel like it's yeah. paced a little bit better. It it probably is the it, I think most people it's the preferred cut because it's the cut people see the most. Yeah, it's true. It's and, true. And 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 there's nothing wrong with the extended cut or or the theatrical cut because to me they both they both have their strengths. Um, it it was weird. I I don't know if you ever saw it, but when Anchor Bay was first putting Dawn out on DVD, um, the in 1999, they came out with, with a, a, a DVD version of Dawn. It's the black cut with, like, the Andy Warhol Dawn logos on the front, like the nine different colored ones.
0: Um, I'm trying to think if I have that. I, I have a VHS with that
2: on it. I'm trying to think if I have the DVD. It would be the same cut, yeah. It would be the same okay, thing. Okay, yeah. Then I have the VHS. If, if you watch that version, it's a slightly different cut because it adds more of the police doc scenes with Joe Pilato in it. Right. So it's like someone took it and cut something and like didn't completely do it so i don't know why that one cut is different
0: hmm. i never but, noticed that you
2: know, yeah and well i was telling shane i don't know if you heard but i was like i have like over 50 copies of dawn of the dead from all over the world i think you got and... me beat. i think he's got my evil dead <laughs> record beat shane
1: yeah <laughs> told you out geek. Geek. <laughs> kid.
2: it's when you watch when you watch the film cut in different from different countries from from england especially like germany really cut the film up really cut a lot of the gore out um it really changes the pacing of the film and and really just it throws me out of it so when i when i decide to like be an uber geek and watch you know dawn of the dead and french with italian (laughs) subtitles um i feel like i'm watching a different film sometimes that's weird (laughs) do you speak i know
0: do you speak italian at least can you
2: (laughs) i no, I don't speak Italian at all. I don't. I can't read Italian. I can't read French. Um, it just. It, it. It's just me to watch another version of Dawn of the Dead. Awesome.
0: All right, I'm gonna put this on the side for later, Matt. But I'm gonna come back to you later. Right. I'm gonna no ask problem. you definitive retail versions of each of the three films. Okay. Okay. And what I mean by that is, let's say a horror fan right now wants to get the the best purchase of each of Night Dawn Day. What do they go with? And I'll give you time to think about it. After we talk about day we'll go into that. Okay. And you can let me know what you're thinking. Okay. Um but Shane, are you ready to go into day? Uh yes. Okay. All right, well, let's...
1: um, You have to excuse the sound effect, Ziggy is going fucking mental at the moment.
0: I I find that hard to
2: believe. How is that possible? Uh, I I think Ziggy wants to talk. I mean, why why are you monopolizing the microphone? I think all that cat wants to do is talk about Dawn of the Dead.
1: No, I think the cat just wants to talk and tell everybody to send him catnip and (laughs) treats. And he hasn't even had any catnip tonight, so I don't know why he's going completely mental.
0: We just this is ridiculous, but we just changed the catnip in our and uh, Ivan's scratching pad. He's yeah. out of his fucking mind right now. He's running through circles laps around the kitchen. He's hiding under the chairs, attacking toys that he hasn't touched in months. He's like berserk. he's on a catnip o d right now.
1: <laughs> Ziggy doesn't even need fucking catnip. that's seriously. True. I mean a- after yeah. that,
0: he's gonna go lay down and be passed out for two or three days.
1: <laughs> I hope so. so
0: all right let's get let's get back to the romero trilogy um 1985's day of the dead um so this one they go back to the, the the more secluded confined setting it sort of takes elements of night and elements of dawn sort of puts them together into a different story and i think one of the most interesting parts um, that George does in this one is he actually uses the zombies as characters and he sort of progresses, um, the development of the zombie. And and that's something that you wouldn't even normally think about. You'd be like, oh, a zombie's just, you know, a moaning, sliding, dead corpse that's trying to eat, you know, flesh. But in this one, he actually takes the zombie and tries to elevate it. So, um so mad on day of the dead what, what do you think about day of the dead um in terms of george changing the zombie
2: um i had no issue with it because it was it wasn't to me it's an evolutionary step that would seem plausible i mean you what <clears throat> jumping ahead very slightly when people talk about you know, big daddy in land of the dead you know they talk about oh he's doing this and i'm doing that i'm like but you're okay with zombies right and them existing but then when we take it a step further and George does this little bit of an evolution or maybe it's memories, maybe memories are pushing through, um, you know, people had issues with that land of the dead, but not in, in day because it's very subdued. It's very much like we're, we're right there on the precipice of Bub kind of becoming self-aware.
0: Right. And he even had that in Dawn when he had the reason the zombies were coming back to the mall is maybe this is a place that was important in their lives. You know, maybe this is something that meant something to them
2: and even even flyboy remembering that fake wall yeah and busting yeah. it through i mean so they they do have some limited higher cognitive functions and you know that could technically that could be the the genesis of what of what bub was and you know he really expanded on that and i think it was great because bub isn't a factor in the movie more or less until the very end yeah and you kind of like it's kind of like if you watch it, you're kind of like, I want to see this guy off his chains. I want to see what he would do, and we finally get that payoff, which I think is 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 a strength that George knew. He's like, okay, this is going to be the big payoff, and we're going to have the zombie come out, and he's going to be like, kind of talking. He's got he's emoting over the death of Dr. Frankenstein, and then boom, he gets his comeuppance with with you know Captain Rhodes and shoots him, and just you know gives him the old fuck you with the salute and just turns away and walks off and. Yep. You know, that's that's George's humor right there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to I'm going to go out and since everybody's spoiling everything, I'm going to say this is my favorite George Romero zombie movie.
2: You know, it's George's.
0: I love Day of
2: the Dead. I don't know. Is this this George's? George's favorite zombie. George's favorite zombie film uh, of his is Day. I love this movie. And Mm -hmm.
0: probably my favorite part um, are the characters in it. I think they do – he does such a good job with the characters that each one is like – like, you know Rhodes' personality. Even even some – I mean, I, I know we're talking to people that have watched these movies like a million times. But, like, to the average moviegoer, if they sit down and they watch all three films, like, in a row, and you go back and you ask them to describe the characters, I mean, they'll probably have an idea of what the characters did, but who the characters are – I think Day does the best job of putting that out, you know, front and foremost. You know Rhodes is a complete asshole. You know he's a mm-hmm. monster. You know Dr. Frankenstein's got good intentions, but, you know, he's willing to do the horrible things to, to, to get to those good intentions. I mean, just sort of like his the character's parodying Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, I, I love the way the characters interact in this movie. And I like that they have this, the sort of the military guys that are all grouping together and you've got roads like I'm taking over this show. And I, I like the, I guess you could call it overacting or sort of overenthusiasm you get from the guys playing the characters.
2: Well, I think it works you amazingly. Re- if you look at Day of the Dead, every character is very self-serving. They're very selfish. Yeah. Um, they're you know, They're really... They're, they're, yeah, I mean, and he establishes that literally from from the start mm-hmm. you know it's like there's character development, but it comes well after establishing you know who you know you can tell very early on who these characters are and and he just follows through you know through the rest of the movie and you know Frankenstein's pretty much off his rocker at this point. Sarah you know is the only character that's really just trying to make it, trying to make something better of her lives, you know, you got the army guys that are down there on orders dicking around and you got the other two guys that are just kind of like, let's go find a beach and drink ourselves for the rest of our lives. Like they just, they don't care. They know that everything they're doing is pointless. I like that.
0: Sarah's like the only almost human character in the movie. Like everyone else is sort of these exaggerated caricatures, Mm -hmm. but I think that works in the situation that they're in.
1: Oh yeah. There's also, how I see it is that everybody is basically—they're suffering from cabin fever on a major scale, mm-hmm. being cooped up so for so long in the same space, not being able to get out—and they are going to go slightly insane anyway. And that's how I perceived it.
2: Yeah. Oh, I agree. They have—they're—they're they're ready to go. Yeah, they're ready to like get out of there. But where are they going to go? They can't—they can't all go together. No. And and it's you know I I love. That George really sets up the the desolation that the world has become in that opening scene, and just they land and just you know screaming, it just brings all the zombies out in droves, and it's like, is this what the world has come to? The, these last dozen people, maybe, yeah, you know, sitting in a bunker, like what what it what are they doing? You know, they they set it up real quick how how outnumbered they are, and you know it's gonna get it's only gonna get worse. I like the idea in
0: this one that's different from night and dawn that this is, this is already an established outpost. These people have been here for a long time and they've had a long time to stew and they're sort of losing it. It's not like night and dawn where they sort of in both those movies, they escape the initial attack. They make Mm -hmm. it to a place of safety and they, you know, try to shore themselves up for temporary or an extended period and then, sort of, what happens to the characters at that point? This one, they're already shored up; they've already been there for quite a long time, and you're seeing the effect that that has on the sort of the, the psychological aspect of it of what's happening to these people being stuck in this bunker. And I think that that's what really drives it home for me that they've been living this way forever, and we're just now we're just dropping in towards the end of them losing it instead of being like. Let's see what drove them there. No no. no. This mm-hmm. is this is who they are. Let's just see what happens when it all comes to a head.
2: Yeah. One of the one of the have you ever read his original script? No. It it was a massive scale. Like it was zombies in barracks and they were trying to like corral the zombies and make them into kind of like soldiers and whatnot. Um Land of the Dead is very much a offshoot of the leftover day of the dead script hmm. um it's you know it was george's script the, the first script that he had was it would have been like twice the budget that that he was eventually given so he had to go back and rewrite that script and really strip it down and that's why you know a lot of it is underground you know why there's there's few you know massive zombie scenes and, and they're kind of self-contained um just because of of, of You know he wasn't going to get all the money he wanted. He was going to get twice the money, but he he would had to have given an R rating, and he didn't want to do that. George is very very steadfast. Like if he's got this idea, he wants to do it this way, and if you're going to tell him he's going to do it, but he's going to sacrifice, then he'll just hold off, and you know he'll he'll find a way to do it, and that's what he did. And I think it's kind of funny when we when we get to the the next three films, um, you'll hear a different tune from me. But Day of the Dead, I love for the pure simple fact that it is the best dialogue George has ever written, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I'll agree. With I
2: I, yeah. I think just the way that the characters are written and how they interact and just how there's just they're just stripped down and raw. Like they're they're not dicking around. They're just they don't really care if they hurt feelings. You know, there there's just nothing left. They're basically holding on to a shred of humanity and they just constantly lash out at each other and it's As much as, you know, you can quote Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, I I think is one of his most quotable movies. And just, you know, from from Joe Pilato just just ramping it up to
0: 12. He's so good in this. You know, this is is like one of my favorite performances of
2: anyone. Yeah. And, And I think I think that's a lot of people. I think a lot of people love it just just for that fact, because he's so over the top, but it works. You know, he's, you know, he's someone in command that shouldn't be in command that wasn't prepared to be in command. And he doesn't, he doesn't know how to do that. He's very one-sided, very one dimensional. And it really conflicts with, with the character of Sarah, who is very much trying to maintain the peace and say, you know, we got to work together. We got to do this. And he's like, no, you're going to listen to me. So they got that struggle. And it's just, to me, the dialogue is what sets day apart from the rest of the movies.
0: Yeah. There's also an underlying theme in day. I guess you could say about drug use or about um I, I I mean just just any type of like inebriation or any, you know, alteration of mentality that they that you have like the two guys that are sort of off by themselves drinking and smoking themselves out. And then you've got uh Sarah's boyfriend um who is constantly being just doped up and and medicated for the pain that he's seeing. And I could sort of see George. He he has a he has a message there, and I think he's trying to say like these aren't as important as everything else that's going on, and that's the downfall of these characters.
2: Yeah, I mean they're they're humans. They have there's nothing to occupy their time. You yeah. know they're not in a mall. They're in a they're in a an underground storage facility. You know they've got no windows. They've got you know really no tennis court they got they got nothing to occupy their time so they're just festering in their own self-pity and hatred you know it's you know it's it there's no hope there's nothing going on so what do they turn to smoking weed drinking their whiskey and beer and you know and and that's probably starting to run in short supply (laughs)
0: Yeah, I can't imagine many helicopter trips out just to. I mean, where where are you finding weed?
2: (laughs) Well, they're growing it. But (laughs) well, they're growing it. Oh, did they show that? Yeah, it's yeah. When they when the helicopter first comes back, you see um, uh, Tasso's character, you know, pruning his his weed plants.
0: Oh, that's right. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they're able to at least have a joint, but I mean you know, McDermott's running out of whiskey yep. and, you know, they're running out of beer and, you know, they're, they're starting to get to that point where, you know, they they've got nothing to occupy their time and they're, excuse me, they're, they're on edge and it's, you know, it only takes one thing to put them over. And, and when that zombie ends up, you know, getting loose and biting a couple people, that's it. You know, there, there's no coming back. It's like that they, they just, that's it. We're going. And,
0: Um, I, I, that's one of my favorite scenes that you bring up where they're trying to wrangle that what they're trying to wrangle a zombie, right. To, to get another one. So Frankenstein could have another, you know, Mm um, zombie to experiment on. And there's sort of that, the, the, the lack of, um, attention, the, the lack of attention that they're paying to doing this very important, delicate task is what, makes this you know makes everything go to shit is because like if you actually pay attention and do your job and do what you're supposed to do then nothing bad will happen but you've got this super stressed out one character who's holding you know not really paying attention is too like out of his mind to actually be doing his job and then you've got the other character who's just acting like a complete asshole because he's you know one of rhodes um you know sort of bad boys that's that's out on the edge and is laughing about all the shit that's going on. And it leads to people getting bit and then everything going to shit. I I, I love that, that it's sort of a, a stereotype in zombie movies now that like, Oh, somebody does one thing stupid. But I think this movie like perfected it that you have everything coming together, but it's based on the personalities of the characters. That's why it happens. It's not something that just, Oh, it's this random, you know, Somebody dropped something and that was the end of it. No, there's a reason they dropped it. And here are the reasons because, you know, this guy's too stressed out. This guy's a dick. He's not paying attention. It all sort of fits together and makes really, really good sense
2: when you look at it. It was a perfect storm.
0: Yeah, it was a perfect, exactly perfect storm. Everything sort of came together and that's why it all went to shit. Yep. There was just
2: one extra piece that was ready for, you know, to be pulled, you know, had he not been there and stressed out, you know, had been, you know, Miguel been, you know, doped up and someone else was wrangling the zombie, you know, had they been paying attention, you know, they were complacent. They were going through the motions. They were just, all right, well, let's go do this. There's nothing else to do. Right. And And that's just that opened the floodgates at that point.
0: Now, Shane, I haven't heard much from you on this one. What are your feelings on day?
1: I like Day a lot. Um, I just, I'm just one of those people that um, I don't like it as much as the others, if you see what I mean. Um, are, you, are you talking great...
0: in whole, or do you mean just the, the of the, the first three?
1: Of the first three. I three. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great story. I think it's very well done. But I, I just found, obviously, I've seen it many times since, but my first impression was actually I found it quite boring um to begin with because they were all stuck in the in the bunker and bearing in mind it was over 20 years ago when i first saw the film so i found it quite boring but over time i've actually gotten to like it a, a bit more um and i kind of appreciate the setting and i can um, appreciate the comparisons to night of the living dead as well because it is very it's very um well, claustrophobic yeah and um, some of the characters as well, so like the description of the characters and how they are getting cabin fever is obviously set in on quite a grand scale. So it's like them trying to make it make a means to an end. If you see what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, but, um, when you, with you mentioning the um, that you hadn't liked it the first time you watched it, I'm completely with you on that. The first time I watched this movie, it was probably around. Oh, I'm gonna guess like ninety-seven. This was much later in 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 my horror watching, and like I had seen uh, Dawn and Night very early. I'm gonna say you know probably when I was like nine or ten or so, and I didn't see right. this until I was like fifteen, sixteen, um, and I didn't like it the first time I saw it, but I every time after that. It's grown on me and grown on me to the point where it's, yeah. my f- it's my favorite. It's overtaken the others. Like, I think this is a movie that every time you watch it, it gets better and better with each viewing. I think I find something new that I like every time. Yeah, I think it's shot extremely well. I love the lighting, the colors. I love everything that's going on. All the underground stuff, I think, works excellent. And I um and and the characters are everything that holds the whole movie together.
2: I mean, I just I absolutely love this one. So you're saying it's the rug of the George Romero original trilogy. Absolutely, it really just yeah. ties it them all together. It
0: just held everything yeah. together, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I I saw Day when I was a kid, and I don't, I didn't remember what it was. I was, I think it, my dad may have taped it, or it may have been on TV, because I I remember Rhodes very vividly in the movie. I didn't see it again until I was probably 16, after I had bought Dawn of the Dead on VHS yeah. for proper viewing, and then I went over and rented Day of the Dead because it hadn't been out on vhs yet so it was yeah day to me was another late it's it's one of those movies that people liked it when it came out and a lot of people didn't like it because it wasn't dawn of the dead yeah, it wasn't exactly what was, people wanted
0: that that fun-filled you know having good times in the mall and blasting zombies and everything else it's not that it's it's They're, dour it's dire it's like end of the world shit
2: there's really there's almost no levity in the movie except for you know the character of McDermott. Yeah, I mean you know other than a few throwaway lines and one or two scenes, like it, it's really a it, it is a dark film. It is not quote unquote a fun film to. To experience because you're really seeing people in like a state that they just never were meant to be in and and that turned a lot of people off but then i think when when anchor bay started pumping out their their catalog and and putting day out on dvd and and vhs and stuff you know it found a new life and i think it brought people back into the fold and said you know what it's it's been you know 12 11 13 years you know since i've seen this wow okay i remember not liking this but i like it now You know, or they, you know, it started to grow on them a little bit, or like they liked it, and then they're like, "Yeah, okay, it's okay." Um,
1: That's the impression I gave, though, because I mean, obviously, when I said when I first watched it, I didn't rate it as much as the others, but over time, I have appreciated the film a lot more. And for me, it's one of those films. The story is really good. Um, Visually, some of it is really good as well, but it just. To me, it's just one of those films that, for me, doesn't live up to Night or Dawn. You know, it's not of the same caliber, in my opinion. But over time, over time, I've appreciated it a lot more. I enjoy it a lot more, and um, you know, it just—that's just the way it is, I suppose. Because I'm, I'm so cynical. I'm so cynical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shade, <laughs> are you saying that you're too old to change your mind? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you could say that. Should I get
2: should I get off your lawn now? And move away. Get off your well, and and <laughs> I I think that's I, I. But then again, too today's today's defense, it's not trying to be like the other two films. Okay. Nor was Dawn trying to be like Night. George wasn't trying to remake the same film. So. You know, it, it, it has this tone, you know, the, the film, even though Dawn is the, the flashy, shiny comic book, you know, red crayon blood, you know, entry, you know, the films progressively do get a little darker, you know, as humanity starts to, to kind of go through this, this apocalypse and, you know, people are, are losing their humanity and losing their morals and their ethics and, and everything. And I think George captured that perfectly by making it the darkest film he could make yeah and, and 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 having you know and and it turned people off because they you know between dawn of the dead and day you know he had done creep show and night riders um two very big flamboyant productions and then he comes in with this downer of day of the dead You know, there's real gritty in your face kind of thing so yeah it it, it wasn't made to turn people off but it fits and I think if it turns people off for that, then I think the film did its job.
0: Yeah. Well, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, I love I love that sort of dark despair that the movie... It, it puts it in you when you watch it. You, you get that feeling of, like, everything's gone to shit and there's no positive coming out of this. We could try to work with what we have, but even that might go to shit, which it does in this movie. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I... I I absolutely love it. And it it could be my life as a pessimist. I don't know, but, um, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely my favorite, you know? Yeah. It's a good film. All right. So I think we're going to, um, we're going to cut off the one episode here because we're already an hour and a half in. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, that'll be our part one. And, uh, Come back next time for, uh, part two when we cover the second half of the, uh, Romero zombie legacy and, uh, go over land, diary, and, uh, survival. So, uh, we'll go with that there. Cool. All right. Ugh.